0: Hi, this is Eric Luty for the Daily Thunder Podcast. If you are enjoying these messages and want to take these truths even deeper, I invite you to join us in Windsor, Colorado at Ellerslie for one of our upcoming five-week or week-long discipleship training programs. Ellerslie's discipleship training has been designed to ignite your spiritual fire and to give you the tools for a Christianity that really works. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com.
1: Well, really excited to be with you this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 12, but what I'd like to do is uh, begin reading at verse 8 and read down to verse 13, which is kind of the section we've been looking at, and uh, just an incredible passage about God's eternal purpose, plan, and mystery. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. This is what Paul writes. He says, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory." Uh, Look at verse 11 and 12 again. Uh, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Uh, We've been walking through uh, this little section, and uh, we've talked about the fact that these unsearchable, unfathomable riches, this mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations— This overwhelming plan, the manifold wisdom, the eternal purpose, all of it focuses on one single thing, Jesus. That the purpose is a person. The plan is a person. The mystery is a person. The riches is a person. And his name is Jesus. That your whole life is to be centered and focused upon the person, and God says, I've, I have an eternal purpose and plan that, I, I, that I've, been, I've had this desire from the very beginning that I have not wavered from this purpose. I've not wavered from this plan. It, this has always been the plan. In fact, the reason I made you is for this purpose. What's the purpose? Jesus, that, that you were to experience the very life of God and you were to demonstrate that life of God to the world around you, that you're an image bearer, and so as Paul's been walking through this, he just says, do you realize how phenomenal, phenomenal this is? Do you realize this unsearchable riches that you get to partake in? Do you understand the, the, this mystery? You, would you just wrap your mind around this manifold wisdom thing that we get to demonstrate to, to the entire universe, both the earthly and the heavenly realms? He says, wow, there's this eternal purpose. And what is all this about? Jesus. And the fact that Jesus one's relationship with you so that now you can walk in intimacy, you can walk in experience, you can walk in relationship with him, and through that relationship with the one who is light and life, you would then demonstrate that light and that life to the world around you. Now, Paul takes all of that and he comes into our verse, verse 12, and he's kind of bringing a conclusionary thought, if you, if you will. He's coming with this idea of if all this is about Jesus— Hey, if this has all been been about him, hey, if this is all about him bringing and doing a work, this redemptive work in your life, so that the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve before the fall, he wants to go back to that. He wants to remove and cleanse the sin, remove that sin nature so that, hey, he can begin to have that intimacy and oneness with you that he longs to have. Why? Because he wants to fill you with his spirit. Hey, if, if all that is true, listen to what Paul says in jesus verse 12 in him in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him that we now have access to something well how do we have access in him this is all about the in whom that the only our 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 access is only available via the means of jesus there's only one way into this thing it's jesus there's no other option it's jesus now, listen to this. Paul says that we now have boldness and confident access unto him. Uh, if, I went to a, if I wanted to go meet the president uh, or the queen of England, you realize that I probably will not be granted access. Uh, they will say, Nathan who? <laughs> All right, so you want to meet with them? They're busy. They've got lots on their mind. They've got a lot to do running countries. Nathan, I'm sorry, but you are not important enough for the president of America or the queen of England to meet with. But do you realize that the God of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the entire universe, actually wants intimacy with you and this is not like a, well, you better hurry and book your time because we're not sure if you're going to be able to do it later on. So uh, I got a I I minute and a half slot that you can have, you know, three weeks from two years from now <laughs> because, hey, this time's busy. We have access. We have access unto the living God. Now, it's interesting, Paul says, not just we have access, but if you had access, if I went to the you know, if I wanted to have tea with the Queen of England, uh, out of respect and honor, I would come in and, and I, I would walk slowly. I wouldn't run. I wouldn't yell. I'd probably bow, you know, as, as a sign of honor and humility. But Paul says that in the very presence of the God of the universe, that you can have bold, confident access unto him. That word for boldness... Uh, the word in Greek has this idea of confidence, boldness, outspokenness, frankness, plainness, courage, fearlessness. Uh, it gives us sense uh, this idea of being willing. Get this to undertake activities that involve risk or danger, uh, especially that involve being honest and straightforward in attitude and speech. In other words, do you realize who you are approaching? That this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet we can walk with a fearlessness. We can actually speak bluntly and honestly and openly with him. Why? Because there's nothing to hide. That we have boldness into his very presence. Uh, That word uh, for boldness uh, shows up 31 times in the New Testament. And let me just give you a couple of these because I just think they're really neat of how they show up uh, in this idea. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 32, it says that Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. That's our word. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> So you get this idea that here is Jesus and he's speaking about the fact of, okay, here's why I've come. Here's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm I'm about to be betrayed by the, and rejected by the elders and the the priests and the scribes. In fact, they're going to put me to death, but in three days I'm going to rise again. And he was speaking bluntly. He was speaking fearlessly. He was speaking with plainness. I mean, this, he was not hiding anything. He was just bold in his declaration. That's our word. Uh, the word also shows up in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, Peter and John are standing before the uh, Jewish Sanhedrin, the, the, the elders and the leaders uh, of, of the Jews. And it says that when that group observed the confidence, that's our word, observed the confidence of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. Whew. So so here's the Sanhedrin, and they're looking at Peter and and John, and they go, You have confidence. But there's no education. There's there's nothing that we can attribute this to your your boldness, your fearlessness, your plain-spokenness, your bluntness, outside of the fact that you've you've been with Jesus. Isn't that good? Uh, Acts chapter 4, a few verses later, it says that uh, when Peter and John were released, they went to their own companions and reported, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. And they said, listen to this, and they, they give a prayer and at the very end of it, they said, and now Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence. So here's the chief priests and the elders and they're, they're looking at the confidence uh, Peter and John, and they're amazed because they're uneducated, and obviously they, they, they spend time with Jesus. They gather together with, with the rest of the disciples and the, and the believers in the early church, and they says, hey, let's tell you, let, me, let me tell you what's been going on, and they pray, and one of the prayers that they pray is, God, would you give us greater boldness? Lord, Lord would you give us greater confidence? Hey, give us greater fearlessness. I think our church, the modern-day church, needs to hear that message. Why? Because we were walking in fear. We're walking in trepidation. We're walking in anxiety. We're, we're being pushed around by the culture. And wouldn't it be amazing if the prayer of the modern church was, Oh God, give us greater confidence. Give us greater boldness. Give us a plainness of speech. Give us a fearlessness in the face of the culture. And in such a way that it's not based on our education, it's not based on our talents, it's not based on our looks. But when the world sees the boldness and the confidence and the fearlessness and the plain speech upon which we were declaring, they will, the only way they can, you know, the only only explanation for that is that we have been with Jesus. Oh, I want that for us. But that's the word. And in that same manner of just that plain spokenness, all laid out bare, you don't have to hide anything. There's a fearlessness, a confidence, a boldness. That's how we can approach our God. Why? Because we have intimacy with him. Hey, I don't have any relationship with the, with the president of America or the Queen of England. And as such, I, I just, I don't have any familiarity. So, so there, there's no, I just can't barge into the, to the Oval Office. I just can't go into Buckingham Palace. But with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, I have intimacy. I have relationship. His life has become the will of my life. And as such, I can enter into his very presence with boldness. I can have fearlessness in his presence, and I can speak plainly. I can just be honest. Lord, here's what's up. That's amazing. Paul says not only this boldness idea, but a confident access. Uh, The word there, confidence, uh, or confident has this idea of trust, reliance, confidence. But get this, it's a confident hopefulness in someone or something, Do you realize my confidence does not come because of me? My confidence comes because of him, that my hope is in him. And because I'm drawing near in intimacy with the one in whom I love, I can be confident. See, a husband and a wife, they can speak confidently to one another. Why? Because there is a confident, confident hopefulness in that other person. See, what would it look like if you could come to God and have that kind of access by the way, that word access just means this idea of approaching, uh, this idea of access, uh, specifically to the presence of a superior. That, that we, we actually have access in, in intimacy and intimacy. And what's really neat is that word access, by the way, only shows up three times in the New Testament. And of, uh, in fact, let me just give them to you because I think these are beautiful. Uh, obviously, one time is here in our passage. Uh, the other one is a few pages earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 where Paul says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles. And the fact that he's broken down that dividing wall, and he's brought us together and made peace. And now, through Jesus, we both now have access in one spirit to the Father. The other time it's used is in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, where Paul writes, therefore, having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction, our access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So get, get the full of what Paul is saying here. He says, hey, the whole purpose and plan and mystery from time and memorial has always been Jesus, and his, the fact that he wants you to experience and demonstrate that life of God Himself. And because you are wrapped up in the very life of Jesus, we in him have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So when I place my faith in him, I can only really approach him with bold confidence. Uh, you understand this idea of faith, and we have walked this so many times. But faith is a realization that I can't, but he can that I don't have it within me. I don't have it in my pockets, but everything that I need is, is found in him. It is realizing that I am I, ineffective, that I don't have the ability, that, that I can't live the life that I'm called to live. And so I lean and I trust and put my, put my weight upon him and say, God, you've got to do this in me. God, I trust you to bring about a result. God, I'm, I'm leaning my weight upon you. That's the idea of faith. And we all have faith. For example, you all came in this morning and uh, you you plop down on these chairs, and you have faith in the strength of the chair you're sitting in. Uh, You look at the world, and the world has faith. An atheist has faith. And they may say, well, I have no faith. Well, you may have faith in this abstract idea called atheism, but it's still faith. In fact, I actually think it takes greater faith to be an atheist because the entire universe is screaming Jesus down your face. I mean, he's I mean, it's just hitting you over there with a two-by-four. I mean, it's just declaring Jesus. And you want to ignore all the realities of, of the universe and his word and history and say, nope, I don't believe in God. That's going to take a lot of faith. But in the context of what we're talking about spiritually as a believer it's realizing that I don't have it within myself, but he has everything that I need for life and for godliness. So I'm going to throw myself upon him and trust in his resource and in his power. I've often been given this idea, uh, by the way, the word uh, faith and belief in scripture are identical. Faith is the noun, believe is, is the verb. So when I do the action of faith, I am believing. And when I'm doing the action of believing, that's called Faith. Which is, by the way, why we are called believers, because we are the ones who live by faith. We are the ones who believe. Uh, John loves, loves that word. In fact, John uses the word believe or faith nearly 100, I think it's 100 times in the book of John itself, which is more than the rest of the New Testament combined. And the way that John uses this idea, believe or faith, uh, is, is not a mental assent kind of an idea. See, some of us have this idea that faith is like, well, yeah, I believe that in the sense of I have a mental understanding or I agree mentally with whatever that is. But that's not faith. Faith has to go beyond the mental thing, it's an action, it's an appropriation of something. And of course, the illustration I've, I've often given is uh, imagine we get up on an airplane and I go, hey, there's an incredible view out the airplane. So I, so I open up the side door and I go, just look at that view. And as you're looking out and you're like, wow, that that is that is beautiful. I come up behind you just, Poof, I push you out, and here you are, and you're falling down. And uh, I realize, oh, you know what? You probably need you probably need a parachute. So I go to the back of the plane, I grab a parachute, and I throw it down toward you. Here you go. Now as you're falling, and this parachute's coming down, I yell out the airplane. I say, dude. You believe in the parachute. And you look up, and there it is. You can see it falling right there. And you go, yes, I see it. Yes, I believe it. (laughs) You realize if that's all you do, that's not going to help you. So somehow, this idea of belief, this idea of faith, you've got to make your way over somehow to the parachute as you're falling. Grab that parachute You put the parachute on, and you hold on to that parachute with everything you have. Why? Because it is your sole means of salvation. That's the idea of faith. See, faith is not a mental assent. Faith is a putting on. It is a grabbing a hold of. It is is grabbing and and holding on for dear life the, the one thing that can actually bring salvation. It's Jesus. So when I place that kind of faith in him and he becomes my life and he, he is the very center of my trust and I'm not leaning any weight upon myself, I'm putting all my weight upon him and I'm building my life upon him, do you realize that I can really march into his presence with this bold confidence? Not because it's me, but because it's all about him. Do you realize that you do not have it within you? to live out the Christian life. You do not have it within you to walk boldly into the very throne room of God. There's nothing in you to bring that about. You are not worthy. Hey, if you were to try to enter into God's presence, let me me change the illustration. If you were going to try to enter into the Oval Office, just if you didn't know the president, you're just going to barge in, they will shoot you. Why? Because you're a threat. You do not have access. But when, by faith, in Christ, you trust, lean, and live out of the relationship with him, you can boldly enter into the very presence of God. That is so mind-boggling. I, lo- I love what Isaiah 46.6 says. Isaiah says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and all of our iniquities like the wind takes us away. See, the best effort that you have in and of yourself is still but filthy rags. It is just some bloody rag that just is thrown away. See, you do not have it within yourself to be righteous. You do not have it within yourself to live out the Christian life. You can't do it. But you can do it. Not because of you, but because of him. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 61.10, he says, I will... Rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. So the best righteous acts I can pull off are are filthy rags. But He wants to clothe you with His righteousness, with His robe of righteousness. Speaking of Jesus that he becomes the robe of righteousness that I wear. I can't. He can. Now, with all that, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 has a very similar tone to this whole thing, or it's a neat parallel of our passage. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is all about rest, and it gives them this illustration of the Israelites entering into the promised land and living in this place of rest. And then right in the middle of this rest concept, there's that really popular verse about the Word of God, Hebrews 4, verse 12. But as you go from Hebrews 4, verse 12 and flow into the rest of that, uh, down to verse 16, there's this incredible declaration and picture that, that parallels our passage in Ephesians. So listen to this, Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 16. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, says the writer of Hebrews, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that an incredible passage? And here's what I love about it. The reason we can do the therefore we can draw near with confidence to the throne room of grace, you realize that is because the word has done its work in our lives. So as you come to the passage, there's this idea of rest. And then there's this random, seemingly random, the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. What on earth are you talking about? I thought we were talking about rest. We are. Uh, Imagine an operating table at, at a hospital you realize that if you are going to be healed of whatever your sickness is, or, or say you have this thing inside of you that needs to be removed, uh, you go and you rest your entire weight upon the operating table, the surgical table, and that doctor with his scalpel is going to make these cuts and cuts and these incisions within your life. Why? To bring healing. And that's what the Word of God is doing. Both the Word of God in text and the Word of God in person, Jesus And when you take your life and you rest your life upon the word of God in text and the word of God in person, and you rest your life upon them, do you realize that he's going to take his word, his life, and he's going to start making all these incisions within you, and as it says that all things, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do you realize that, when the word of God begins to cut your life and begins to, to sharpen and convict and, and sanctify your life, that it's like you're standing naked before the Lord and there is nothing anymore to hide. It's like that idea of boldness, isn't it? That there's this fearlessness, there's, there's a plainness, there's a nothing to hide. And that, that hey, if, if I'm standing naked before the Lord and you realize that I'm, I'm no longer having to hide my sin, I, don't want, I no longer have to hide these, these, these habits or these problems or these whatever's, do you realize that I can actually, at that point, actually enter into full rest? Why? Because he's done a work in my life. And hey, when I'm standing fully naked before the Lord because he has cut and pierced my life and, and he's refining me and he's convicting me and he's, he's sanctifying me and he's changing my life, do you realize that when I'm not hiding or holding anything back from God, but everything is laid bare before him, do you realize that that, that suddenly removes all the barriers and all the things between me and him. And now, therefore, I can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that I could receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. See, it's when I refuse to be laid bare. It's when I refuse and I, and I hold to my sin and I hold to the junk and I, I hold to my unforgiveness and I hold to my habits and, I hold to my, and, I, and I'm unwilling for God to do with those areas of my life well, then there's now barriers and I, I cannot boldly enter in. I, I cannot have access like I could have. I, I, I'm not going to live in rest. Why? Because I'm unwilling to be laid bare. What would it look like in your life if you would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you lay bare my life? Would you convict me of anything in my life that doesn't belong? Hey, would you sanctify all the habits and attitudes and and whether I whether whatever justification I've used in the past, well, it's my personality. Well, I just I just have a fear problem. I, I'm just an angry person. Lord, would you not let me have any excuses? Lord, would you radically get a hold of my heart, my my life, my mind, my tongue, my attitude, my motives? Because when you begin to change my life and and everything is surrendered to you, it actually allows me to live in a place of rest. And it allows me to actually come to the throne of grace with boldness and confidence into this beautiful access that I have under the Father and say, Lord, I I need mercy and grace and help in time of need. See, you need to live like that. I don't know if you ever saw that old picture. It's that black and white photo of uh, JFK, the president. And he's in the Oval Office and supposedly, if I remember the story correctly, he was meeting with a whole bunch of high-level advisors. And so he's, he's at the main desk and, and there's this picture of his son down below the desk playing with a, with a truck. And here's JFK Jr. who's playing with a truck in the Oval Office at the feet of his father. Do you realize the only reason why JFK Jr. had access to the Oval Office of the President of the United States And in a high-level meeting where they're making these critical decisions for the country, he's able to just sit around and play and zoom around with his truck is because he had intimacy and relationship with his father. And as the son, he could boldly, with confidence, enter into the very presence of his dad and just say, Dad, here I am. Do you realize we have that with God? That we get to run up to him and call him Daddy, Abba, Father, Why? Because we're in relationship with him. Which goes back to the whole idea of that purpose. That if the purpose of God is that it's all focused on Jesus and the fact that he wants you to be wrapped up in relationship with him and to experience and to demonstrate the very life and the love and the light of God himself, then you realize that we can always come before him because we're in relationship and intimacy. We can always come before him with boldness and confidence in our access to him. And again, that idea of boldness is this fearlessness, this frankness, this plainness. That that even though it may involve a risk and a danger, which it would if you're in, if you're going to approach the very presence of God, the holy, 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 perfect, pure, righteous presence of God. But yet we can yet be honest and straightforward with Him. That we can actually enter in. Now, if I can encourage you, we do not enter in with pride. That's sin. We are to enter in humbly, reverently, with awe, with a fear of the Lord. And yet we can boldly enter in with confidence. Why? Because we have relationship and intimacy. What if you had lived from that place? What if if your prayer life demonstrated the fact that you were boldly, with confidence, with overwhelming trust by faith in Jesus, entering into his presence what if the way that you lived your life down at your job and in your family and at, and at your church was a demonstration of the bold, confident access that you have in Christ by faith through him? See, what if someone would look at your life and just go, wow, you, you have such intimacy with, with Jesus. How, how is it that you have that kind of intimacy with Jesus? Oh, relationship. There's that, there's that old story of George... Uh, sorry, John Hyde, John Prane Hyde. He was a missionary in India. And, and uh, they used to call him Praying Hyde because he would just pray all the time. And stories are told of Prane Hyde that he had such a rich intimacy with the Father. And one day he was speaking at this conference and this, this young man asked, said, Mr. Hyde, is there, any, is there any way that I could spend just a few minutes with you and pray? I just want to hear how you pray when no one's around. And so John Hyde said, sure. And so after John Hyde spoke, they went to the back room and John Hyde got down on his knees and the young man got down on his knees and and John Hyde was just quiet for a few minutes and and here's what the young man said. He said, suddenly John Hyde cried out and just said, oh, Father. And he says, I don't know how to describe this, but just those two words, it's like we were suddenly ushered into the very throne room of the presence of God. And John Hyde just began to pour out his heart and if I could use our language, he had a bold confidence in his praying. And the young man said that is I don't know, maybe more than, not more than 10 minutes or so, but there's a knock on the door and, and he's like, how, how rude is it that someone is trying to interrupt John Hyde's praying? <laughs> you know? And uh, the, the man opened up the door and said, uh, Mr. Hyde, I just want to let you know that uh, you're about to go speak back at the conference. And the young man looked down at his watch and he, he says, I could have only sworn it was only 10 or 20 minutes, but hours had gone by. What do you call that? See, see, how is it that John High could, could pray with such a boldness and a confidence and a, and a richness of life that, that as he began to open up his mouth, that there was just a richness of intimacy and, and that he could be just plain spoken, that he could be fearless before the Lord and just say, Lord, here's, here's what's going on. Would you pray like that? Could you live like that? Because you realize everything we do is unto the Lord. And what would it look like if the world around us would see you, oh, let me say it this way, when the world around you saw your life, they saw that you experience and demonstrate his life, that they saw a bold, confident access in his presence, that you were constantly living by faith, this trust, this leaning upon him. What would that look like? By the way, if you lived that way, do you know what we'd have to call you? Yeah, a Christian. I don't want to just esteem that. I want to live it. Oh, I want it. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, we do, we do come before you in faith and trust. Lord, we realize that we, we don't have it within ourselves. We need you That there's no way we're ever gonna pull off the Christian life outside of you. There's no way we can ever love or have joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self control outside of you. That sure we might have a glimmer of something for a moment, but Lord, we can't, that fruit will not come out of us unless you are in us. Lord, what would it look like if we lived by faith? Not esteem, not, not mental assent, but we lived by faith, putting on a parachute and living in you, through you, by you. And Lord, I don't understand why you've given us such access. Lord, we who who are just dust has access to the living God. That has to dumbfound the angels. These great creatures that you have made, and yet we we have relationship with you that we are we are more than servants. We are sons and daughters of the King. Lord, that has to be so dumbfounding for the spiritual realm. But Lord, I pray that we would live in the reality of what we have access to and that we, with bold confidence, would interver- enter in your very presence. Which means, Lord, you need to strip us down. Lord, would you take your word, the word of God in text, the Bible, the word of God in person your very life would you come and like a double-edged sword would you pierce and divide and would you cut and and would you bring about your life Would would you lay bare our lives so that this is not us this is not about our confidence this is not about our boldness this this is not about our ability this is not about our talent this is not about our wisdom this is not about our anything this is about you and that is only through faith in you that we can enter in boldly with confidence so, Lord, would you, would you do a work within us? Would you sanctify our lives to such an extent that, that, you, that you would make us naked before you, lay us bare before you? But therefore, oh, because of that phenomenal reality, let us draw near with confidence to the very throne room of grace that we would re- receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, thank you that we have access to your presence. Thank you that we get to live in the midst of your life. Oh, it's so good. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Oh, you're so, so, so good. And thank you that your eternal purpose is your very life. I want to live in that. I want to live in that reality, Jesus. And so, Lord, I want to take a step forward by faith in you with bold confidence into that eternal purpose which is life, which is you. Oh, if we love you, Jesus. We want to worship this morning, Lord. We want to give you praise and glory. We, want to, we, we don't want to just bottle this up and go, well, that was nice and, and go about our day. Lord, we, we want something to bubble up from within our toes, reach up within our very chest and burst forth out of our lips, which would just be worship and praise unto you, for you alone are worthy. So Lord, not just our praying, but our praise. Would you, could, could we enter into a time of praise with bold confidence? We love you, Jesus. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.